When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Oh shit, we are recording. Fair, fair enough. Yeah, we are recording. Uh, um, is, is everyone set and ready? Yeah, yeah. Do you know, yeah. Do you know what I noticed? What uh, did you notice? Just a completely off-the-cuff thing while we're all getting settled. Do you know when... I saw them on the Manchester Derby when Gary Neville is co-commentating mm-hmm. and when something really exciting happens slightly unexpectedly Gary Neville will just start making this ni- noise like oh uh, yeah. it's like he's like some sort of weird mank air ride ah. siren you can imagine yeah. oh is, is, is it like the, the natural evolution of his goalgasm <laughs> oh, yeah. from, from the count yeah, unbelievable yeah, yeah, that's, that's, yeah. He, p- he peaked then really uh, quite literally um, oh <laughs> <laughs> just start doing like that. A, a month's course. Maybe, maybe in time, if, some, if Andy makes a really exciting point, I'll just go, oh. <laughs> I'll look forward to that. I won't feel undermined at all by that. Right, are you set? Yeah, yeah. Right, so good. Cool. So much is changing at the moment in the world, as, as well as the, the, the world of football, that um, I don't think we need to worry about that normal thing where we sit around and think, oh, the minute we've left the studio this will happen or that will have changed. Uh, there's there's really no point. It's been a really bizarre Champions League week with uh, two games behind closed doors, uh, two games with fans. I, I, we all know how we felt seeing the games that were, were behind closed doors. Um, but how did you feel seeing the games with fans in the, in, in the situation that we're in and the world's in? To me, that almost felt weirder. I think surreal is the only word for mm. it. Everything just doesn't feel normal right now, whether it be mm. inside sport, outside of sport, or we just feel like we're living in a different universe sort of thing at the uh, moment. It, it's, it's true. And, and, and Lars, um, the, of course, the, the the weirder twist with, oh, I suppose it's not weird, it's, it's, it's natural that it should happen straight away, but um, the games at Valencia and Paris Saint-Germain, even though they were without fans, they were with fans outside. Yeah, which is a frustrating thing to see, I think. Because, it is. Uh, maybe it's ignorance. I mean, but I also feel, I'm in two minds about this, because if people weren't irrationally obsessed with football, then I think all our careers would be very different and probably a lot less fun. <laughs> you know, people who spend an inordinate amount of time on football and really put their lives on hold for football is, is kind of what keeps us in, in, in socks and trousers, right? But really, with this sort of thing... Like if the health authorities are saying that to contain this thing so that fewer people will die, we need to not assemble in large groups of yeah. people. For you then to immediately go out and assemble in a large group of people, yeah. just I don't, I don't, it doesn't sit right with me. And I also think if you look at the pictures from outside the Parc de Prince, like these lads, they're, they're they're young, strong, healthy lads, I'm sure, and they figured it doesn't yeah. find if it's I the get same it. outside Mystere as well. It, it, yeah. It, yeah. It, and they're yeah. probably thinking in the same way young men think that nothing bad will ever happen to them. And you know, if I'm I'm young and strong, it's fine. But it's not about you getting it; it's about the people you'll pass it on to. It's, yeah. it's not about any other people with the flares outside Parc de Prince getting it. They'll probably be fine, but their parents or grandparents might not. The shopkeeper down the road who's past 60 might not. Mm. You know, is this sort of thing. Uh, it's about trying to 
stopping this. I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist. I don't know. I just know that in this situation, it's not a bad idea to follow instructions. Medical advice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll come to to, to Paris and and what happened at the Parc des Princes in in, in a little bit. Um, But I think if, if we're talking about the football, we have to start with Atletico Madrid knocking out the holders. And it is that extraordinary, isn't it, David? I mean, we talked after the first leg about how people who have a a casual understanding of Atletico would have watched that first leg and said, Mm. typical Atletico performance. But in fact, it was like a a tribute act to Atletico three years ago or four years ago. Um, But they pulled another one out of the bag here. And we were talking about it before. And, you know, we're trying to find the essence of Chulismo, weren't they? Mm -hmm. You know, what embodies Diego Simeone and his teams. And there's this misconception that it's defensive perfection. Mm. But in fact, for Oblak to build himself in in, in his reputation to the, the, the best goalkeeper in the world or one of the best goalkeepers in the world, he's had to do a lot of work in the meantime. It was never about that, was it? It was about battening down the hatches not about never giving any chances away. And and that was certainly the case. They rolled back the years again at Anfield, didn't they? Yeah, it was a real old-fashioned performance in many ways. I think the fact that it was almost a tribute to the, the old Atleti cast. Mm. And then also the the style that they played in, the, the way that they won that game. It, it was, you know, let's, let's make that clear, it was no tactical ma- masterclass at all. This wasn't Atleti's unbelievable defensive performance. You know, Liverpool absolutely destroyed them and, and battered that door down. Um, something which they didn't do uh, in the first league Liverpool. I thought in the first leg it was a good performance from Atleti defensively. In the second mm. leg it wasn't. Mm. It was so, so wide open. Mm. Um, but and yeah, it was. I think it was a great performance for those people who get sick of hearing about tactics and, and, and everything and such. It, it was very much great determination, passion, resilience, all those words. I know some people, you know, like roll their eyes at, the, at that as well. But, you know, I think it was a, a classic performance in that regard. And I think it was quite refreshing to see. And I think it's, I mean, we've spoken about it a lot on this pod in part because Simeone himself has spoken about it, mm-hmm. is that there has been such a change there. You know, the old leaders, you know, Gabi's no longer there, Godino is no longer there, or the old sort of, the leaders of the old Simeone team are gone. And then this season is all about finding new leaders in this group and having new players step up to be the sort of flag carriers, not just for, not just on the pitch, but in terms of personality, in terms of dealing with these sort of situations. So, so what does this, this say so, about so, Simeone? So what this, does this say about well, Simeone? it says a then? lot about Simeone, but I think it says a lot about this group of players who are sort of make, are making a step up. I mean, it's mm. not just, even though you could say with the slightly less sort of otherworldly goalkeeper, you probably have a different result last night. Mm. But these sort of experiences, they build togetherness and they build character and they build belief and and it will make this new group of Atleti players feel that they can achieve similar things to the last one. I, th- I think this was a flash in the pan. I don't see, I mean, yeah. if you look, if you, yeah, if you look at their league performances, you look at how they're going uh, there in La Liga um, and I think, you know, I can still see them going ra- out the next round as well. I, I don't think this is the start of something big, the new Atleti coming around. I do honestly think this is one last dance almost in a way. But I feel like that's hard, so hard to analyse because I agree. Yeah. Like I've watched them quite a bit this season and they've been really average for a lot of it. Mm. But then that first leg performance in Liverpool, they just kind of raised themselves on the occasion. Mm. And even though, again, they were relying on a good goalkeeper, there was an element of that this week as well. How big a deal is it, David, that, I mean, <laughs> that Simeone got Gabby to come and see them a couple yeah. of days before? I love because, that, yeah. Because the thing is, what Simeone has always been so incredible at, and he's gone back to the playbook for this, from the moment he arrived, he was always talking about 
um, the value, the people we represent. Mm. We're a working-class team with working-class values. And exactly. That's harder to do once you move from that neighbourhood, isn't it? Once you move like 15 kilometres away or, or whatever. And when you think about how Simeone, before big Champions League games, has got them to go back and train at the Calderon before it was recently demolished, of, of course. That idea of... It, it's, it's almost a Scolari sort of ploy, isn't it? This idea of appealing to emotions rather than tactics. Yeah. Sometimes that can tip you over the line. I think mm. people sometimes ignore that. Again, going back to what I said, you know, you know, all the respect for tactics and, and statistics and what have you. But I think sometimes people do forget the emotional, emotional aspect of it, the mental aspect of it. And I think the players would have taken a lot from that. Simeone has always played in that. And you look at his words after the press, uh, in the press conference last night as well. He was talking about soul then. How did you win? Oh, we had soul. And, and and that just goes to show that's the sort of thing that he goes goes upon. He doesn't go, oh, um, well, we had this midfielder here. I brought Marcus Yonri on to, to plug this gap here. Mm. He talks about the emotional aspect, and it's so so big for him. Um, and and yeah, I thought that, I thought that's how they got over the line last night. It, it wasn't to do anything with tactics, or it was pure just great, and they just really really dug in. We'll come back to Marcus Yorente in a yep. minute, mm-hmm. but I wanted to ask you, Lars, mm-hmm. about Jurgen Klopp. We mm-hmm. know he's. A bad loser, sure. Uh, by his own admission, and and that's that's what makes him so good in, in in a way. But this idea of you know when he came out and said afterwards they've got all these players, these great players. Why do they have to play like that? When did we get to this point that we think there's only one way of playing football, and good football has to be a certain type of football? I'm not. Well, I think there's always been people who felt that there's a right way of playing football and a wrong sure. way of playing football, right? This is not a new thing. And I think what Klopp is saying specifically is that you have guys who are good ball players who are not playing a lot of ball. Like, they're, they're mainly running around chasing when they could be doing more stuff. I mean, you could put Saul into the Man City team and I don't think he'd look out of place. Like, he has the technical quality to play for a much more possession-focused team. Mm. He's, the one get, pl- he's the one player that stands out for me. Yeah. I think I brought it up the other week on here, yeah. actually, funny enough. Yeah. He's the one person who I think could who could really benefit yeah. from leaving that lately the most because of his football IQ. Yeah, well, and, uh, you talked about it damaging him yeah. a bit, haven't yeah. you, really? Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. It's why Rodri left. And I think yeah. that's the point Klopp is making. And it's kind of the point we were making early in the season as well. If you look at some of the plays they brought in, it would be logical to evolve a little bit. But it's not something they've done, and they've instead had, they've all got so- Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but 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 of course I I obviously agree with you. There's not a right a wrong in a right way of, of of winning, and those comments obviously sound a bit weird after you've gone out uh, playing the way you play, and it, it kind of works. But I, I do I do I can see where it's coming from. And you know what? I quite like. Yes, he sounds like a poor loser for sure. But he's speaking his mind, which I think is not a bad yeah, thing. Yeah. Uh, we have enough managers who just say nothing because they realise not much good will come out of speaking your mind in the press where Klopp at least is offering something of himself. Yeah. And you can criticise him for what he thinks, but that's how he feels about it and that's fair enough. No one's ever going to agree on the right way or wrong way of playing. You know, some people don't like the way Liverpool play. I saw a lot of people bring it up last night. They were just pinging crosses in. That's all they were doing. What people, yeah. That's what people say. So some, people, some people don't like what so Liverpool Trent, do. Trent Alexander-Arnold put 25 crosses in, which yeah, is they, a wild number. Yeah, like, they, there you go. Very if, strange, yeah. if that was under... Moyes, I remember Moyes used to do it at Manchester United. They used to say, "Oh, yes. they ping this many crosses in." You know, I, if that I was Moyes' team, they'd be like, "Oh." But, but to be fair, that was a consequence of Atleti sitting deep and they were struggling to break yeah. through. Like, so you have a lot of space in the yeah. flanks. Yeah, I think the I think the Spanish word for that is Alexander Arnold Dependencia. <laughs> uh, but let's go back to uh, they need a Plan B, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Andy Carroll in for next year. Yeah, exactly. That's the one. Um, <laughs> let's let's go back to Marcos Llorente because yeah. it's an extraordinary story. 
he is not a young guy anymore. He's 25. He's not this promising young player that some of us still think of him as. Um, if we go back again to the Champions League pass, we go back to the 2017 final. Around that time, people were saying, oh, yeah, they might move on from Casimiro. Llorente is either going to compete with Casimiro or replace him in the next season. Yeah. Never happened. And now you get this point where he moves to Atleti uh, for forty million. This is meant to this is meant to make him. He's really struggled to find his place in the team. Only eight mm. La Liga starts this season. No Champions League starts. Mm. They bring him on to basically stem the flow because Liverpool are just running all over them in the middle mm. because Saul and Coque are having to go out and help Lodi on that on that Liverpool right, the, the Atletico left. Mm-hmm. And this guy who you bring in to plug the gap scores two goals and gets an assist. It's extraordinary. It was unbelievable because he had three professional goals in his career before <laughs> then. And he went and scored two. And I mean, he couldn't pick the best. Well, he didn't look like you saw them coming himself either. He was oh, like, no. what was what, what that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but they were such good finishes. Yeah, no, yeah they were unbelievable. They, they were. They were unbelievable finishes. And, and you know, I, I really, really like his attitude. I always have. He's an unbelievable professional, by the way, Marcus Urente. Always looks after himself um, in terms of, you know, the application he puts in after training, before training. Have you seen him walking his dogs? I mean, he looks stacked. Yeah, yeah. He's <laughs> he, he's, he's a beautiful looking man. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He really is. There's he, no doubt about he's it. He's very handsome. Um, uh, but yeah, anyway, back to his football. Yeah, he came in, you know, and he's played this <laughs> very strange auxiliary right-sided role this season when he's come in quite recently and, and for him to come in and make that sort of impact was, was admirable and, and yeah you know he's Real Madrid boy you know but for him to come in and, and, and put that sort of effort in just I think it's it's testament to the, the type of person he is and, and, and credit to Alvaro Morata as well who um, if my eyes didn't deceive me scored a 1v1 the, the world really is falling apart and I don't mean by <laughs> coronavirus. Um, Morata's scoring on 1v1 situations. Uh, but I, I thought it was interesting that it was for the for the crucial goal. Obviously, it's Sadrian's mistake, but it's also a very clever and quick-witted pass by Joao Felix. Who, it is. Who, and it just, I, th- I thought the, the very excellent uh, writer and broadcaster Musa Kwonga made this point during the game that the thing about Joao Felix is that he's spending so much time off running off the ball that he doesn't look like he's got... He looks like he's knackered when he's in position. When he finally gets the ball in good positions, he doesn't have the energy to burst past his man the way he otherwise would, perhaps. And I think that's like... Atleti at the moment in the microcosm like they are a little bit stuck between the, the whole sort of Gabi yeah. Juan Fran way and the fact that they now have one or at least a couple of players he, who maybe could do more but they're asked to do so much off the ball that it's it's tricky well that, that's something that they've talked about again and again with Coque isn't it but I, I do think that you can talk about that Adrian Fluff as, as, as being the, the key moment of the match and mm-hmm. obviously there's some angry Liverpool fans who've really got on him and said the difference in the game is the two goalkeepers I think that's a little bit of an oversimplification of it personally mm. because anyone could make that mistake that Adrian made. You know, better goalkeepers could make that mistake. And also, I think eight or nine times out of ten, you get away with it, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. But the what proves, I think, one of the things that proves, and I thought was Joao Felix had quietly a very, very good game. When the ball goes to him, you're thinking, he's off his line, just chip him. Yeah, That's yeah. what you're thinking. And he doesn't. He stops it and he makes a reverse pass that, catches the defence completely unaware. He, he's starting to get that. I mean, I've made this point and this is why I think when he has played, he hasn't, you know, I think everybody's expecting this. The, the to ben- be touched by the hand of God when they see him. <laughs> the Benfica, Jao Felix, the turn yeah. up. It's a completely different thing. And I, I bring this point up as well. He's playing the Griezmann role and that's a Griezmann role that Griezmann took years to grow into, to yeah. understand. And Jao Felix has just been 
dropped in and said, okay, you do what Griezmann used to do. That is so, so difficult. It's a, such a specific role. He's such a young player. He's learning all the time. And I don't think he's been that bad by any means, Atleti. I think he's been very good. So, so I, as I just very quickly looked up the tweet here, Musa says, Juan Felix is caca, but with 30% of the possession. <laughs> and and I think there's something there. I think And I think it's so hard for these attacking creative players when they have so few opportunities to make an impact just because of the nature of how Atleti play. Of course, the thing is, when they work out he can score back post headers, then they really will be in business. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash ramble. The other match from Wednesday night uh, was in Paris. We touched on it before. Uh, in terms of the actual Paris Saint-Germain performance, I think it showed great maturity. They managed the situation very well. Yeah. They deserved winners. For sure. We, we end up liking them a lot less at the end of it, don't we? And I, I, uh, well, I think, we didn't I, like I, them I, a lot to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, but, but when... You know, we'll come back to the performance in a, in a minute because I do think it, it it merits analysis and and Neymar had his big moments. But when you look at Tuchel's celebrations, mm. when you look at Kazava getting stuck in amongst the ultras outside, and it looks great on the photos. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but I do think it's is grossly irresponsible. And then, of course, which is far less important, the mimicking Holland's uh, yoga <laughs> celebration. I mean, <laughs> apart from the fact. This is going to make him mad. This is going to make him mad and he's going to make them pay for it. And he's going to make everyone else pay for it in seasons to come. I'm not worried about him. But why, at your biggest moment for a good couple of years, 
do you decide to spend it taking the piss out of a, a teenager who's not even played a full season at the top level? I've got to lean on my good friend Rob Daly's tweet here that says, PSG doing that Holland celebration for Neymar's goal at full time and in the dressing room is after after is like that thing where you say a joke and no one laughs you think it's because nobody's heard you so you say it again then someone says heard you the first time mate and you want to die <laughs> yeah except I don't think anyone's actually told them to their faces that actually you're you kind of embarrassing yourselves there no listen I thought it was really funny just not the way they intended it <laughs> um, what you mean laughing at rather than laughing with oh very much so because this <laughs> listen you say it's the biggest moment in the last couple of years I'd, it's one of the biggest moments of, of their history such as it is uh, because I mean this is a club that in the last decade has had like this extraordinary amount of resources thrown at them uh, by uh, by the, the Qataris and, and that's not, not to win Liga. Like, I mean, Liga effectively is not a competition anymore unless mm. they have an even, you know, completely embarrassing year and they manage not to win it. I mean, they have managed that a couple of times, of course, but you know, under normal circumstances, that shouldn't be possible due to the financial advantages they have. It's all about the Champions League now. So this, this is what the club exists for, almost. This is what all those resources have been put into. And, and they keep, like, finding new and more embarrassing ways of going out. Like, and it's become this sort of global laughing stock almost, uh, the way they always mess up finally they didn't like they had as we've talked about again before in the pod they had a sensible transfer window for once and and filled the spots in the squad that needed filling with sensible rather than glitzy signings and we're seeing that they look more solid like you say it was a very accomplished performance very good tactician in charge they're kind of looking like a proper football team now and they finally they really come up against it in the Champions League and for like one of the first times in their history they managed to not fluff their lines and actually get the job done and in that sort of moment of triumph and it really is a breakthrough moment for them I think it could be in sporting mm. terms after everything that's gone into it their first instinct is to take the piss out of a 19 year old kid <laughs> who was like 15 months ago was playing in Norway like it's a bizarre behaviour it's it, very strange it, it really it really is but um, let's look at how Paris Saint-Germain played and let's look at Neymar David because yeah. um, he finally had an opportunity in these last two games to make a difference to Paris Saint-Germain on this level and this is what he was bought for there's no point skirting around that um, if we go back and think how he dragged Barcelona through that Paris Saint-Germain tie yeah. those, those years back he can do this if we forget all the shit that surrounds him this is a guy with iron will who can pull it out at the biggest moments and until last night and maybe some people forgotten that a little bit. Like the celebrity obscures the substance. Yeah, which is a shame because, you know, you've got to look at it in the past, you know, what, five, six years. He's probably the one player who has got closest to Messi and Ronaldo in terms of the level. But it's not just the ability, is it? It's the strength of will to, I, to pull the team on your back I think and, it's underrated. and make it happen. It's an underrated quality. I think he's quite a tough kid. I think, yeah. he's, honestly, I really, really do. And he's shown it so many times. He showed it to Barcelona as well. I think he really toughened himself up under Luis Enrique. He was incredible. And, and Luis Enrique loved him. And Luis Enrique doesn't really like many people at all. Um, and, 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 the, and the fact that Neymar um, showed that, that, again, I keep using this word on this podcast, grit. He did. He is capable of showing that. And people do forget it. And if you look at his performance over the two legs, he in this to this tie he wasn't that good but his direct involvement in the goals was, was there mm. so when he can inf- he, when he does want influence he can do it and he's just an unbe- I think he's an unbelievable player he really really is but people do forget it because of all like you say all the shit that goes on elsewhere but I think you guys are being very charitable describing it as like the celebrity that surrounds him and the shit I mean it's his behaviour right 
It's it's all the theatrics. Yeah, he it's doesn't. The, okay, the, the okay, he doesn't help weird himself. Weird trips to Rio, the sort of pulling yeah. out of the games when it suits him. Yeah, it's no one else's fault. Okay, he doesn't help but himself. Yeah, absolutely. All the sporting stuff is correct. Like he is phenomenal, and when he's been on the pitch for Paris Saint Germain, he's been great. Yeah, but it, it not only obscures his ability, it obscures his will to win and the fact that he, he really puts in a shift as well. Mm-hmm. I mean that that's something that no, that's that, that people never underline about. About Neymar, mm-hmm. that that determination, that grit, that bloody mindedness, and I, I think you touched on it there, David. Those when he was at Barcelona, those big games, it was fly or die. Either he was going to make it happen or get himself sent off doing it. His teammates like him. He's, yeah. Wherever he's gone, his teammates have loved him because of yeah. his attitude and his ethic and how he g's everybody else up. Yeah. Yeah, so, t- tell us, tell us a bit about how desperate. Messi is to have him back at Barcelona because it's, it's kind of make, made Messi who we don't really expect for to have public pronouncements mm-hmm. there have been more and more recently mm-hmm. maybe as he becomes face to face with his football mortality yeah. gets a little bit antsy and makes that says look this stuff has to happen now come on come on come on mm-hmm. but one of his key things in the last eight months a year has been I need Neymar back here yeah, I mean, when he first came to Barcelona, there were concerns about what his attitude would be like. Oh, is he going to be acting like the celebrity, acting like that? But when he focuses on his football, when he's in training, his application is incredible. His teammates love him. His coaches love him. He works very, very hard. He's this sort of guy who puts in the same amount of effort in training than in a game. And and people probably don't think that because they'll see his Instagram, they'll see, you know, he's at Fashion Week, they see he's dyeing his hair, things like that. But Messi has always wanted him back. All the other players, Busquets, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about the, the real Barca boys here have always wanted him back. And this mm. is this is somebody who isn't, you know, La Masia, DNA or anything like that. But he's somebody who gets Barcelona. He's somebody who, I think, when other players are not performing, like you said, he he stepped up in that tie for Barcelona. and And that's the sort of thing that he's capable of doing. Is he back there this time next year, do you think? I think everyone in Barcelona would love him to be, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the, really? I think, I think all the money's going to go for Lautaro Martinez. Yeah. He's the number one priority. Right. So I think they'll go for him. If they don't get him, they'll maybe say, oh, okay, you're going to do a little deal on Neymar. Do they even have the money for Neymar, though? Because... They have their, the money. Their finances are not great. They have the money for one big sign, and they'll make one big sign, one hundred million plus sign. And I, the, the problem is, they're kind of bound to Coutinho and and, and Dembele, two enormous financial deadweights who they're going to struggle to shift, aren't and they? And you know what? They still want uh, Delict as well. They're going to they're going to try for him again, even though he's at Juve. They they, they still want him very much. So, Lars, but, can, can I ask you to to, to move it on? Were you disappointed in Dortmund? A little bit, yeah. Uh, I think uh, there's a there's a factor we've not mentioned because obviously it does uh, pale into insignificance next to all the stuff that's going on. But there are sporting, I think, consequences to not having uh, not having people in the stands. Like I think we saw in in Serie A at the weekend. I think it, I think it favoured Juventus to an extent in the big derby uh, because Inter's game is all about energy and running and passion and all this, whereas Juventus are a little bit more technically accomplished maybe and a little bit more clinical in the way they play. I thought you were going to say maybe they're just frightened because they can hear Antonio Conte shouting at them I mean, for that, the whole that, game. That is also It could a be thing. that. I mean, that, that, I, I, that was I the wonder. thing that everyone in France talked about, yeah. about Marquinhos, who everyone knows a le- is a leader. Yeah. Uh, the ultras at Paris Saint-Germain absolutely love him, but it felt quite revelatory to to find out how much he talks during a game and exactly what he says. But nowhere I was going with this was that, of course, PSG really did everything they could to try to get the fans in the stand, even having like the the entire stadium covered in anti-back or whatever they did. They had like a company in to clean the park the plants, which is probably not a bad thing to do anyway. But but no, in in, in the end, 
on the day. I do wonder if it favoured them a little bit because, you know, they, they are a team who have this recent history of just t- again and again and again crumbling under pressure in the Champions League and just making it slightly different, breaking the pattern. You're not in front okay. of the fans. Anymore. I think it, taking a little bit of the pressure off them, the sort of visceral feeling of, oh, here we go again, like we've experienced this before, like this has gone wrong in the past. Like just making the... Because it was a very sort of otherworldly and odd atmosphere, having this crucial game in their history happening with no... It was very strange, but I do think adding, changing the setting maybe helped them a little bit. One German club who did get it right and emphatically got it right. I guess you could say one of two surprise quarterfinalists, Leipzig. And, you know, we've we've heard a lot about Tottenham, their end of era. And um, to be fair, they had no players. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. Entire lineup of kids. And, you know, it's, it's hard for them to do anything. Lucas Moura, really? yeah, yeah, Lucelso. No, 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 yeah, it's, no. it's, it's, they should have just it's walked off the pitch. Really, yeah, really. There's <laughs> no point having this game. Really. Surprised that they didn't have any catering staff in yeah. the, in, in the defense, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, nev- nevertheless, um, we talked, David, a, a while ago about whether this would represent some sort of changing of the guard in European football coaching um, between uh, Jose Mourinho, who I, I think you said in, in terms of, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting you, but I share this opinion. If he was a busted flush in Champions League oh, he's, terms. He's, he's done. He's, I think he's done in, at the top level. Never mind just Champions League, Premier League. I think he's done. Right. Yeah. Okay, just to reiterate that from oh, a couple absolutely. of weeks ago. No, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to die on that hill and I think I'm going to have a lot of people dying with me on that hill. So, yeah, so I, th- yeah, I think you will, I'll join you. I'll join you. It's a comfortable place to be. But I think let's let's not look at him. Let's look at Julian Nagelsmann, who, yeah. you know, there was the possibility for them to, to wobble, to get a bit of vertigo. He's got a young team. He's still a young coach. There's nothing he could have done any better, really, over these two legs, is there? Absolutely what, not. What, what an effort. Yeah. Youngest, and they've had their injuries, too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, youngest ever coach to win a Champions League knockout tie, 32. It's incredible. So there you go. And it's marvellous. He really is. He's probably the, he probably is the biggest managerial prospect in world football. Yeah. I, I don't think, uh, you know, there's some good managers out there, but I think he's definitely the one that you look at. Um, and I, I brought, again, I brought it up a few weeks ago, but I, I, I'm, I re, I'm really in admiration of how he gets his ideas across to players. And also, you look at the number of players that he's converted positions for as well, and they've been equally as good there. I think that takes a very, very special coach to give that player, you, you know, the instructions, the details to, to make sure that they become accomplished in that position. It's about five or six players, I think I was looking at, that he's, that he's changed position of, and they've all performed really, really well there. And he, he is, he's such a fantastic coach, and his attitude, he's an intelligent guy as well, and, and, and he play, the team plays some nice football. He's, yeah, it's just going to be great to see where he goes. It was interesting, because in, in, in the build-up to this, Lars, um, we looked at them at Wolfsburg last Saturday. They didn't win for the mm. second successive weekend in the Bundesliga. They tried out, um, or Nagelsmann tried out Christopher Nkunku at um, right wing back and there was part of me thinking he's going full Guardiola he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's just he's just overthinking things yeah. but to his credit he didn't do that in, in this game no uh, which is very opposite to Guardiola Guardiola tends to do wacky stuff in the big games uh, historically uh, great, great use of the word wacky yeah well it's hard to describe it in the other way but to be fair yeah I, I do wonder as someone who has pushed that narrative a few times I mean there's a there's an obvious sort of logic hole there is that we don't talk about the big games where he picked odd lineups and it worked you know so I, I, it'd be, but anyway that's a digression the other thing I think about Nagelsmann he's he's a deceptively experienced coach 
Because he started working as a coach, like when he was twenty or something. Is, he, there's no overnight success element about well, to it, well, is there? No, you're right. Just, but the, because we're so used to people, like they, you give up your career in your mid thirties and you do your badges and you start coaching yes. at that point. Nagelsmann has kind of gone through the same process. He just started. He just started much earlier. And I mean, the point's been made before. I do wonder maybe he has a a level of empathy with the players and how they think and how they feel that maybe other coaches who may have been on the other bench in this game, d- d- does not. I mean, I think that there might be a big difference there. I mean, Marcel Sabitzer, we've got to have a word for him as well. We, we always end up talking about Timo Werner for mm. obvious mm. transfer-related reasons when we when we get into Leipzig. But if you talk about Nagelsmann lifting players a little bit higher, mm. Zabitz has been one of those. He's been absolutely fantastic. And Rafa Honigstein talked in The Athletic this week about how he didn't want to go there in the first place. When he got transferred over to, to Leipzig, he's like, oh, I don't want to play in the second division. But actually, he's been there the whole time. It's worked out really well for him. And I mean, he's one of the best midfielders in Europe at the moment, isn't Absolutely, he? yeah. I think he's in, for purely for his influence alone on the team, it, it is huge. And the way he stepped up again last night, uh, sorry, the other night, was just brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah, he's, he's fantastic to see. And he's also, I mean, he's played most of his career out wide, so it's interesting to see him be that effectual in the centre. But I guess it's because, uh, partially because it's just his running power, and I think that's a big part of like Nagelsmann's system. You need you need people who run a lot. His, en- his energy's pretty yeah. infectious, yeah, I think. Yeah, he's a well. super athlete. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It's interesting seeing Forsberg come on and and, and kind of finish the game off. He's almost a peripheral figure to them now. Yeah. I mean, it was his, his, his first touch, but I think that shows the sort of strength and depth they've got. And when you talk about the club planning, which well is, is exactly where it's fallen apart for Tottenham, those two fallow transfer windows, that's what they're paying for at the moment, above and beyond Mourinho, whatever you think of him. Mm-hmm. Whoever the coach is at the moment, they're paying for those those two empty transfer windows. Whereas Leipzig, clearly they're very well funded, but without going out and spending 50, 60 million on players. I yeah, mean, they're not they're, overpaying they're, for anybody. They're, uh, they're never going to buy a Ndombele or, or, no. or, or whatever, are they? They'll, they'll buy the, the, ne- the, the next Ndombele. Yeah, ex- so that, <laughs> exactly. The or, the, or the one that's fallen through the cracks. Like yeah, Pat- Patrick exactly. Schick had had a very bad time. The way he's regenerated under Nagelsmann has been absolutely extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- they've got options because they've planned. Especially so, in attacking positions, the number of yeah. options that they have got. If, if a game isn't going their way, the, 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 how they can change it up. Everybody's quite flexible, versatile as well. It's, it's remarkable. Um, we have to have a word for Atalanta before we leave the, the, the Champions League as well. Um, because it's an extraordinary achievement and clearly is the, the, the first... Um, Champions League game without without supporters this week it it was a bit weird but if ever a game was stimulating behind closed doors this was it and the the thing that really got me about Atalanta you knew they were going to play it that, that, that how they were going to play it they only play one way but the point where they're three two down they think should we just move to kill this game I mean that's amazing isn't it no it is he did it in the first leg as well he brought and I think he brought in Zapata late on and and to try and get more goals and. Yeah, I know Valencia's got their problems at the back, um, but I think to score that many goals at this level over two legs is an excellent achievement. Again, their positivity is a breath of fresh air. You know, all these people who are getting antsy over how Atleti play, then, okay, you know, you can bounce it out by watching Atlanta. <laughs> it's again, it's again, there's no right or wrong way to play. You can. This is the great Variety thing. Variety is the spice of life. Exactly, and, and I think that's the, the important thing. I'm just delighted to see Giampiero Gasparini have this sort of moment in the sun because mm. I think he's always been a bit of a cult figure if you follow Serie A and he's had good teams before particularly sort of in when I was a student 
Um, <laughs> this is going to be a little bit sort of weirdly personal. When I was a student, my best friend, he had like a nicer student flat than me. So we got like two sort of sort of reclining chairs that we had in his flat and we would watch all the football on every weekend. <laughs> uh, and one of the teams that we really enjoyed watching then was the sort of Giampiero Gasparini's Genoa side who were playing the sort of slightly gung-ho 3-4-3 formation. Oh, like, they were fun. Way before it was trendy where you had like Socrates for some reason in defence next to like uh, uh, Thiago Motta in midfield and Umar Milanetto who the centre midfielder who always looked like he was running uphill somehow and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it was a really really fun team of sort of strange characters and they I, mean, I think they finished fifth one season I mean they did quite well uh, but they were never quite they, they, they remained a cult side that was eventually broken up and Milito went to Inter and Gasparini went to Inter of course mm. eventually where he got his whole four games and, in charge <laughs> Which, yeah, again, was such a shame. And someone who's always had really interesting ideas and so, and to an, very countercultural to an extent in Italian football, very counter stereotypical. And, and to see him get these sort of. Um, build two Atalanta teams really because the first one he did well with the finished fourth a couple of years ago was broken up entirely and all the players were sold and he had to put it together with sort of random bits and bobs from the Swiss League in this sort of strange business and and he's built another incredible team here but is, is that the the thing for them in, in, in terms of this Champions League success it gives them breathing space it gives them longevity because how it seems to have worked for them is rather than break up teams they're not having to sell the Caldera now, or well, they've brought him back, haven't they? But they're, they're, they've they've been able last summer to hold on to Duvan Zapata. They've been able to continue to pay Papu Gomez. All those yeah. things have worked for them. And, and, and maybe maybe next summer they they get to hold on to Pasalic permanently. And, and, and not only. Uh, have they made not one a number of truckloads of money from this sort of Champions League season they're having? But I mean, their wage bill is like the thirteenth biggest in Serie A. So they don't. That, they that don't, is worth underlining. They don't actually, actually need mm. that money. I mean, they can take that money and put it in the bank and and use it to give better contracts to anyone who might want to leave mm. to entice them to stay, or to to use to find you know new uh, new un, you know undiscovered gems in the transfer market. And I think there's a, like the really extraordinary players here, like Ilicic is like thirty two and, and looks like he can barely run. So even though he scores these amazing goals, I'm not sure big clubs will be lining up to get. Him. So I think they have a real chance of keeping some of these guys for a little while longer. Yeah, it's what they would have described as a Chrissy Chrissy Waddle on the fast show. <laughs> In amongst everything that's happening, we had the first Bundesliga game behind closed doors this Wednesday. It was a sort of hors d'oeuvre for the Wednesday's Champions League action, uh, kicking off at um, half five UK time to not clash with it, of course. Uh, the Geisterspieler, the the ghost game. And it was a derby between Borussia Mönchengladbach and Cologne. Mm. And it's a bit like when you were talking, Lars, um, about the, the game between... Um, the Derby d'Italia between Juventus and Inter. There are games behind closed doors and there are massive games behind closed doors. Mm. I mean, it was really interesting, I thought, to, it's something you have in the Bundesliga, you, you have um, the, the referee give an interview after the game, um, normally to 
explain a few decisions, which I think is something that people in other leagues would like to say, uh, see. But it, it was really interesting to see uh, Dennis Eikertin, who is, of course, one of the most experienced referees in Germany, give his little chat about it afterwards. And um, he talked to Sky afterwards and he said, um, something's missing and something's massive is missing. Um, I just hope that this um, won't continue in the in the long term. It's really scary and it's nothing to do with football. The passion's missing mm. and it's very difficult to to concentrate. And yeah. it's, it's really interesting to hear a, a referee say that because I think sometimes we can all be a little bit guilty, can't we, of thinking referees aren't, people. aren't, aren't really people. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You've hit the nail on the head. And the fact is everyone's feeling it. I mean, it was a keenly contested game. Mm. It was a close game. Uh, once Mark Oots for Cologne had scored and, and, and got it back to 2-1, he had a great chance at the end that he could only hit straight at Jan Sommer. And at, at, at the end, you did have the Cologne players sort of looking at each other and sort of putting their faces in their shirts and all that sort of stuff. They were going through the normal stuff and the way Gladbach celebrated, they were going through the normal stuff that they would have done if there were fans there. But it did feel super weird. And for me, this was one of the first games where you thought, this isn't really sustainable, is yeah. it, football without supporters? Yeah, no, it isn't. And for, it's just, it doesn't, I don't think it fundamentally, yes, these mass public gatherings are incredibly bad for spreading the thing. But I think also just having teams and support staffs traveling around the country is not going to be a good way to contain a virus either. So I'm not, not sure. Well, the players, the players feel at risk. Yeah, from a public health perspective, it's not a satisfying solution. I understand the business case for just getting these games over and done with, but it, it just it doesn't feel right at all. And um, But, but I, I miss this game, Andy. Having watched this and having followed the Bundesliga very closely as the Guardian Bundesliga columnist this season... I mean, Gladbach are having a terrific season. Like, one point behind Abbey Leipzig, two points behind Dortmund. We talk about them a lot less than those two, probably. Marco Rosa in his first year there. We talk about Nagelsmann being a huge managerial prospect. I mean, the, the Marco Rosa hype train is well underway, no? Yeah, well, of course, he was He was linked to the Spurs job, wasn't he? When mm. um, Briefly, when Pochettino went, and it, it never looked possible to me. Um, but I think uh, when you get a year or so down the line, everyone will be linking in with bigger jobs and Gladbach can't keep him forever. I really think he's done an absolutely tremendous job there this year. They've got uh, a real playing identity, which they didn't last year. I know they flirted with the top of the league and they were top for quite a bit during the first half of the season, but they're never a genuine title contender when you look at their depth. When you look at that lack, for me, their biggest lack, because they've, uh, for me, they've got the, the best goalkeeper in the Bundesliga in, mm. in Jan Zoma. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Big he shows some time I mean, again. Manuel Neuer might be listening to this and he might be coming to your house. Well, he's angry with everyone. Mm. I don't think one more is going to make a difference. Is it? But um, to, to me, the one thing they're really lacking is when you go back to Lucien Favre days, Martin Stranzel, that, that sort of real, <laughs> like old grizzled defender yeah. who can you know, bring everyone else into line. Maybe mm. that's what they're lacking, that that tiny little bit of experience because they are a really terrific young team to watch. And I think if you go back to the the the, the biggest games this season where they've fallen a little bit short and they were, they were a bit lucky to beat Bayern, even though that felt like a, a pivotal moment at Borussia Park. They, they, they could have been flamed in that game um, if Zoma hadn't saved them and if Bayern hadn't missed quite a lot of chances. But 
from and, and they fell a little bit short against Dortmund as well. You felt that you know Dortmund again. I suppose in the image of Atleti, dug in. They weren't always brilliant. They were very very good in the last half hour and they controlled the game quite well in the last half hour um, of, of that top spieler last Saturday. But the, the the big thing, and you know, we never want to talk about luck because, as you say, Lars, it kind of undercuts our job a little bit if mm. we talk about mm-hmm. luck too much. Much better to talk about theories. Exactly. <laughs> like a theory. But <laughs> Me too. But I think a big thing between last Saturday and this game against Köln is Marcus Turam coming back mm. because he has been absolutely spectacular this season. And he makes them tick in the final third. Now, talking about games behind closed doors, of course, Serie A has been stopped altogether. Mm. We received um, the news on Wednesday night that Daniele Lugani, the centre-back for Juventus, has contracted COVID-19. Cristiano Ronaldo, it seems, is is, is not coming back from Madeira in, in, until it's Fair safe. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think... Um, Italy putting a block on it. I, I don't see how the rest of European football can't follow because as we've seen, it's all interlinked. And I, th- I think really it's, it's not so much about footballing authorities making decisions. I think it's past that point. I think circumstances will make the decisions for, for football. And we've seen that with Getafe refusing to go to Milan to play Inter in the Europa League. And of course, Angel Torres, the, the president of Getafe, said before the decision was made, well, look, if they have to throw us out of the competition or if we have to lose the game, then then fine, but we're not going. And of course, in the reverse direction, Roma were coming over to play Sevilla in Seville, but their plane was refused permission to to land and and this is something that as i say is totally outside football's remit really if we go back to serie a which has kind of led the way in closing things it's it's almost like we're doing a, a sum up on the season now because it's very very hard to see certainly under present circumstances how the season in serie a will be completed now obviously it's a dynamic situation there are a lot of moving parts but something that Gab Marcotti has, has, has been talking about on Twitter as well. Um, the three possible solutions that have been uh, floated for, for Serie A. One, that you freeze it as it is. There's no champion. There's no relegation. And the European place is worked out on things as they stand. Mm. That you stop the season right here and you award the championship and relegation on the present table. Or the third, that there's some sort of title playoff now none of these are even remotely satisfactory in my opinion but what what are your thoughts on them David um I think the NBA led the way last night I think as soon as one player was found to have that coronavirus I think that kind of tipped the skills yeah I think in football we look at that as well Regani you know you've uh, well you think this has to be the tipping point for football like Rudy Gobert has been absolutely. for basketball he's in that dressing room you know he's coming into contact with the players as well I think that's it I'll, it's a small I'll just, community like, like, like you, fo- you, 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 football you like basketball is you a small can't community reasonably, you can't reasonably ask anyone to accept playing against Juventus now for instance no exactly mm. and you like look at the games he played before as well exactly uh, and yeah, yeah that, that's it uh, for me I say that is the only viable solution mm. I, I know there's the money aspect and, and that's something else um. obviously that I don't have the answers for right now in terms of how the smaller clubs figure out you know in terms well, this is outstrip that. Yeah, it? exactly. The revenue take they, they that comes in, mm. but yeah, for me that's it. Suspended. I, I would finish 
all football all across the board now. I, I certainly think all of those three solutions sound like they're tailor-made to make Andrea Agnelli's head explode uh, because <laughs> finishing it as it is now means Atalanta in the Champions League again and we know how he feels about that. But they, they're going to make the Champions League anyway. And, and yeah, exactly. Well, it's very disappointing. I mean, there's still time for Roma to overtake them and all to be good in the Agnelli world. Sure, surely uh, but, Roma need to make sixth to uh, get their rightful place in the Champions League. Yeah, That's Agnelli logic, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. But, but then, of course, if you have a playoff as was mooted, then that means Juventus might, you know, in spite of being top, might not uh, might lose it on some kind of playoff, which I'm sure Mr. Agnelli would not want either. So bad news overall for him. That's where we get to Belgium or Romania or Ukraine. or They even had it in Turkey for a bit, the, the, the Championship playoff, I mean, which was... Very exciting, simultaneously very exciting and very unfair. Like, give or take the fact that you're actually, in this case, changing the rules mid season. So, I don't know if you saw this, but the Maltese FA put out a press message. Yes saying that, you know, someone had informally been in touch with them, mooting the, uh, you know, well, well, making the suggestion that Juventus Lyon could perhaps be played in Malta and they wanted to say that we're absolutely not doing that I think they're onto something I think all the football for the rest of the season for all of you are just played in like obscure islands here and there uh, we could play out the Eredivisie on the Ascension Islands maybe like put uh, yeah the Faroe Islands that's maybe that's where the Bundesliga could go just <laughs> well the, the, the thing I would have been in favour of with um, Juventus Lyon going to Malta is I mean surely you and John Arnorisa would have been anchoring the coverage <laughs> which um, amazing times I, I think we we all would have been in favour of, but uh-huh. um, yeah, if, if if we look at where we are at the moment, um, everything really is behind closed doors apart from uh, the, the the Premier League. Uh, the season is stopped at the moment in in Serie A, and you would expect um, others to to follow suit with speculation. Maybe that speculation has been realised that the La Liga will go from being behind closed doors to to actually stopping when 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 the clubs meet later today. What's going on in terms of why isn't the Premier League already stopped? Like why isn't the preventive you know measures being taken? For instance, is it is it arrogance? Do you think it's money? I you know what? It's 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 really hard to say. Yeah. It's, it's it's really hard to say. I mean, I think really it's it's about government taking the lead, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I meant earlier when I said really if if you've got a situation where um, real events are going above and beyond footballs. Mm-hmm. Football thinking that it is the world. Football is not the world. I think it's. You know? so, I think if the government, the, the UK government, does move to a next stage, and I think that's when we'll see it. Because I think this yeah. stage one of the containment at the yeah. moment. So I think if it does move to stage two, then I think that that is it. That's that's going to be everything off. Yeah. This was a Stakhanov production.